What is up, Cake Nation, and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake online podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and here with me today is my mentor and very close friend, Alex Mantanona. He graduated with his bachelor's degree in biochemistry from the California State University in Northridge in 2013 and received his master's degree in, the, in chemistry at CSUN as well in 2016. He is currently a PhD candidate at the University of California, San Diego with a focus in inorganic chemistry. We actually work in the same lab. He was my uh, undergrad mentor and I worked with him on his projects until I graduated from university. Um, and so now he's just my life mentor. And if I'm not mistaken, you are submitting a manuscript soon? Yeah, uh, hopefully we should be getting this manuscript out um, by the end of this week, uh, potentially two, but the other one has been driving me crazy. But uh, <laughs> it, it might come out as well. We'll see. Woo! Also, um, just for the listeners at home, his favorite cake flavor is Oreo ice cream cake because it is refreshing and delicious. And truth be told, I was not expecting anyone to answer that question with any variation of ice cream cake, so that is next level. Alex, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's really, really wonderful to have you on the podcast. Have you been? Exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like grad school. Uh, we're, we're good today. We are we're good, good today. today. And I heard you went to JPL yesterday. Yes. Uh, I'm part of the student-led seminar series at UCSD. Um, and we had invited a speaker from JPL, Morgan Cable, uh, who's an amazing speaker, works on uh, the Cassini mission and uh, Dragonfly mission, which has been accepted for funding. So look for that in the next you know five years or so ten years hearing a lot of big news about that but anyway she invited us up for a private tour to jpl yes and uh we got a chance uh to see some behind the scenes things uh got to see the mars uh 2020 rover being built um gotta go in uh the command center and quite a bit of cool things in, in jpl so um yeah that was a fantastic experience that sounds like a lot of fun, and I am very <clears throat> sad that I wasn't able to go on that trip, but I'm glad that you had a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so so for the audience at home, Alex studies mag- the magnetic properties of systems on the molecular level. So this is an addendum of sorts to the Farewell Ferritin episode, um, and essentially uh, Alex works with tiny magnets, um, even smaller than the ones I work with. So... Alex, can you help us understand what magnets are? What are magnets? Ooh, okay. So I guess that's a loaded question. The, the, the best way to start with it is start with the magnets that we are quite familiar with. And that's the you know refrigerator magnets that we have. You know, almost universally people have magnets on the fridge. Um, those are what is called ferromagnets. And ferromagnets uh, are... Typically, they're, they're metal oxides. They can be a few different compositions. Uh, but essentially what you do is you can get the electrons that are unpaired in the metals and the different metal centers, those electrons are then going to point in the same direction. And because those are electric fields and perpendicular to them is a magnetic field, uh, you actually will get this joint effect where if you get all of them lined up in the same direction, you then get a, a big magnetic field that will then stick to things when you know it's possible. So that's that's your typical magnet, your ferromagnet. 
Um, what we work with is a little bit more complicated. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yes. <laughs> um, this is something, uh, the project I currently on studies super paramagnets. And these get their magnetism uh, essentially from a, a completely different mechanism. And the mechanism here is essentially the electrons, they want to point in a certain direction. Now, the direction that the electrons want to point in is going to be based on the things around it. So there's going to be a preferred orientation, and there's going to be a, pretty much an area that if it points in that direction, it's going to be the lowest energy. So, you know, electrons, just like anything, and all of us, they're, they're lazy. They want to be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they want to be in the lowest possible energy confirmation. So it's essentially, think about it like this. The electron wants to be laying on the couch watching Netflix. Yeah. And that's going to be the lowest energy state. But of course, it can go up to higher energy states if there is energy available to it. So think of it like this. You're laying on the couch, you're watching Netflix. If somebody rings the doorbell, now there's energy that's been introduced into the system mm -hmm. that's going to make you go into an excited state. Huh. Eventually, you're going to want to lay back down on the couch. Yep. But you might not lay down in the same direction. You might lay down in the opposite direction. Oh, so nice. you can imagine that the electrons are doing this anytime there's energy available in the system. And what we do know is that things have heat. Things have energy. So usually we see this behavior when it's really, really cold and you can get them sticking there on their couches when there's not a lot of thermal energy, not a lot of people, you know, knocking on the door. You know, they're out in the boonies. There's no, there's no solicitors coming. <laughs> but then you can imagine, you know, you live right next door to where you're going to get a lot of foot traffic. Or, you know, if you live in an apartment complex and you have noisy upstairs neighbors that are constantly bothering you and getting you off your couch. So at higher energy states, you're not going to see the magnetism, but at very low energy states, you're going to be able to see the magnetic behavior. Um, now, this, of course, only happens when there's a very comfortable couch mm -hmm. um, and a very preferred energy compared to um, something that, you know, doesn't really have a preferred direction or preferred place where it wants to be. Right. So this directionality... What is the word that we use for that? <laughs> so I was, uh, the word that we use for that is called anisotropy. Anisotropy. So anisotropy is, is gonna, one of the big buzzwords uh, yep. that we throw, along, throw around in molecular magnetism quite a bit. Yep. Um, another big one, of course, is spin-orbit coupling. <laughs> hashtag. Hashtag spin-orbit coupling. Uh, it, and it's something that uh, any time my roommate and myself, we get in discussion about the subject, uh, it's almost turned into a meme <laughs> because inevitably the conversation goes back down to spin-orbit coupling. Oh, yeah. Uh, spin-orbit coupling just happens to be one of the ways you can get that anisotropy or the directionality into your system. So what you're doing is uh, electrons, they are, we call them spinning. So they, they have an orientation where they're spinning. We usually say up or down. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, you can think of it as uh, plus or minus. Um, 
what can also happen is that as they're spinning, they're also moving around the nucleus. And that's what's called an orbit. So, you know, just think about, it's not the most correct representation, but if you can think about a planet orbiting this, uh, a star, you know, that, that's kind of the same idea, where you have an electron, you know, going around uh, a nucleus, um, except the shape and the distribution is a lot different than just, yeah. you know, a regular orbit. Now, that spin and that orbit, they get mixed together, um, and then the new motion that comes out of it is, the, is where you get your anisotropy or your directionality, where your electron wants to be. Yeah, so. Sweet deal. Hope that wasn't too much. It, it gets a little, it gets heavy very quickly. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, speaking of heavy, um, Alex works with single molecule magnets, or SMMs, um, while I work with nanoparticles. So, Alex, what, what makes an SMM any different from any other magnetic material like the nanoparticles I work with? All right, so that, that's a great question. So the reason they are different is the fact that they are discrete molecules. So they, they exhibit a behavior called superparamagnetism, where nanoparticles can show this, uh, but the superparamagnetism is essentially that, that energy confirmation, that the directionality that I was talking about where if you, you get these preferred orientations where you want to lay down on the couch rather than be in an excited energy state, but essentially if you lay down you know, on either side of the couch, it's, it, you're still in your lowest energy confirmation. Now, super paramagnets, or I should say single molecule magnets, they exhibit this behavior on the molecular scale, whereas uh, the nanoparticles, it, it comes from kind of this cohesive effect of all these atoms working together, or in the molecule state, it's, it's just one molecule. You don't need more than one metal center. You can have more than one metal center, but it, it's typically just molecules that are well-defined. You know, j just think of the, like an oxygen molecule, mm -hmm. you know, on that same size frame. That that's where they're acting as magnets, and which is really cool to see. We don't really see, you know, molecules hold their magnetic behavior, you know, in the absence of the magnetic field. Um, usually, you have to get a lot of things working together, and that's what happens, like with your ferromagnets on your fridge. You got a bunch of them working together, mm -hmm. and, and that's how they're acting as a magnet. But these molecules, they're magnets by themselves. Yeah. That is really cool. Listeners at home, I hope you're mind blown because I am. Um, so, what particular single molecule magnets are you working on? That um, yeah. So I'm working currently on cobalt-based single molecule magnets, um, and we use uh, different types of ligands to to kind of influence the magnetic behavior. the The primary one we use is a, a class of molecules called carbenes. Um, and the whole idea is that if you have your cobalt, which is kind of where all your, your, your free electrons are, and if you put the carbenes around them in a very specific orientation, you can get like very, very nice separation between your, your low energy confirmations, you know, lying on the couch compared to your high energy situations. You could imagine, okay, low energy situation from your couch to your door or from your couch to running up a mountain. 
that's a much higher energy situation. So depending on how those ligands or those carbenes are situated around your cobalt, you can change the distance of how comfortable they are at the lowest energy to the very high energy states. Right. Yeah. So carbenes are ligands. Yes. What exactly are carbenes? Well, uh, carbenes are um, essentially a type of molecule that they have a, it's essentially you have a carbon um, atom that has a, what we call a lone pair or two electrons um, that are in a filled orbital and then an empty orbital corresponding with that. Mm. And uh, this is uh, quite a bit different from what it, carbon typically does. Right. Carbon likes to have its, all, all its uh, p orbitals filled up. Right. Uh, whether they're bonding with something else or whether um, you know, they're hybridizing to form like double bonds, you usually don't have empty p orbitals. So what happens is you get a, um, a carbon atom that has a filled orbital with two electrons and, you know, can bond to something, and then you have an unpaired orbital. This is one type of carbene. There is the, the type of carbene that has the, the electrons in both orbitals, but then you, you still don't have your full, um, full filling of carbon's octet. And if you're not too familiar with um, chemistry and the octet rule, things typically like to have eight electrons um, in, in the second row of the periodic table. So carbenes happen to be one of the, the deviations from that where they won't have a full octet um, and they're very reactive when they are not, uh, when they're in the free state. I should say that. But of course, once you put them next to a metal, they can then uh, combine with that metal. And this is what I do. I put it next to cobalt, and it will form a, a you know some sort of new molecule that combines the two of them together. And these molecules that you are synthesizing just so happen to be magnetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they have some very cool magnetic uh, properties, and we're trying to make them better and better. Um, you know, the, they only work at very, very low temperatures. So that I, and this is like below liquid helium. Woo. So the idea is to get it obviously to higher temperatures. So it takes a lot of groundwork to, to get the right shapes, uh, get the, the carbenes and the right orientations around your metal. Mm -hmm. And then of course, um, you know, there's other ways you can build your magnetism to work at higher temperatures. So how cold are we talking? We are talking about less than four Kelvin. So, four you know, we've, we all hear absolute zero, absolute zero, zero Kelvin, or negative 273 degrees Celsius. Um, yeah, so we are talking, you know, colder than the vacuum of space. Ooh. This is where the, most of these molecules uh, operate as magnets. But, of course, we can... Uh, do better. The, the current uh, record, I believe, is above liquid nitrogen, so that's at uh, roughly 80 Kelvin. Yeah. Um, and that was a big breakthrough in the field, so now we're talking about applications in, in niche-type things, uh, yeah. such as uh, supercomputers mm -hmm. or potentially uh, quantum computers. This is where really these, these uh, 
molecules are uh, looking to get their first use in. So uh, it's an exciting time to get into the field because, you know, it, 20 years ago, people could, you know, less than 4 Kelvin is not very exciting. I know. <laughs> getting liquid helium is really hard to do. Uh, or it's, it, it's relatively hard to do, but getting liquid nitrogen, nitrogen is 78% of our atmosphere. Yeah. It's pretty easy to, to get nitrogen and then convert it down to, to liquid state. It's much harder to do that with helium, and that's because helium's, uh, the resources of helium is a lot more scarce. Yeah. Um, you, you can only find helium in like uranium mines and things like that. Well, yeah. So... And I agree with you. Uh, this is a pretty niche field, um, and not very many people study magnetic materials at the molecular or nanoscale. So what are some unique examples of single-molecule magnets, and what are the challenges? So we'll, we'll start with the challenges first. Yeah. The, the challenges, of course, are uh, a lot of the things that act as magnets, they are, one, their magnetism isn't necessarily stable above certain temperatures. So... That's, that's the big one, getting the, the temperature range up. The second one is a, a, a lot of these systems, they're, they're quite reactive. So you have to work in places that don't really have oxygen and they don't really have water because yep. the oxygen and water tend to react with the molecules themselves. Right. Um, there have been cases where there's air-stable uh, single-molecule magnets, and those are always you know really great to see, but... The best ones have been air and water unstable, mm-hmm. um, which is a, is a big challenge in the field, is being able to find a system that's going to be stable that we can, you know, you don't have to have a really strict environment to, to keep your, uh, your magnets alive. Right. Uh, that's one big challenge. So, uh, what was the second question or first question, I should say? The first question are, what are some unique examples of single molecule magnets? Okay, some unique examples. All right, I will go through a few of them. Um, you know, I, I talked about the one that works at 80 Kelvin, and that was published uh, by the Layfield Group, um, and that is a dysprosium complex that has um, what's called CP uh, star ligands, and that what that means is they have five-membered rings on each side of the dysprosium, and then those five-membered rings also have a bunch of shrubbery around it. Shrubbery. <laughs> and we call it shrubbery because, it, you know, if we draw it out, it looks like branches on a tree. This is true. And so what all that shrubbery does is it kind of forces the, the molecules to line up in a line because the branches don't want to crash into each other. This is what we call steric hindrance. And what that does is it forces the orientation into... Uh, in this case, an axial system, and that makes the magnetism better. That's one, uh, uh, one notable example, and, and that's kind of the big one at the moment. Um, another big one, uh, this was published by uh, Jeff Long, and now our uh, the first author on the paper is uh, Philip Bunting, who's currently a postdoc in our lab. Um, this is a cobalt complex. Um, this one works... Uh, not quite at 80 Kelvin, uh, but this is the best transition metal single molecule magnet. Um, and it works, uh, I believe, around uh, 8 or 9 Kelvin. Um, so better than liquid helium, but you know, still a ways to go. 
And this kind of uses the same idea where you have um, a, a cobalt center and then you have two um, ligands or things that are attaching to the metal with a lot of shrubbery around it and it forces it into this linear conformation, uh, giving it uh, a, a very big energy barrier between the ground, um, you, you know, your low energy conformation and your excited energies. Uh, that's another big one. Um, and one last one that I'll talk about, um, this one is directly from our group, um, is some erbium complexes. Um, you can look these up. They're published by uh, Jeremy Hilgar and, of course, our PI, Jeffrey Reinhardt. Uh, and, of course, there's a little bit of self-promotion. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> So the idea behind these complexes is that they figured out um, if you get something called an erbium half sandwich. And what it, it means is that you have an erbium complex, uh, you have a cot ring, which is, is essentially it's an eight-membered ring um, that is bound to the erbium. It's, it's a lanthanide or a rare earth metal. And it looks like a half sandwich. And if you get that... Uh, segment by itself, you know, it will always act as a magnet. It doesn't matter what you put on the other side, it's going to act as a magnet, which is uh, really cool because if you can then find something that'll link two of these half sandwiches together, um, you know, you can imagine you're putting a toothpick between the two of them, um, and then you can combine a bunch of these together, you can potentially jack up your magnetism quite a bit because then all of these metal centers are working together and you know hopefully you can get something that'll have a really high temperature so that's something that we're doing in our lab and of course you know something that is notable and hopefully will lead to a, a pretty big breakthrough that is all like, really cool stuff listeners at home uh, specifically if chem jobber is listening uh we encourage you to read that pub publication that is by uh, jeremy helgar and our pi jeffrey reinhardt um and then uh tweet at me at chemistry cake uh if if you agree that this is a sandwich or a half sandwich um but i digress <laughs> i digress so, sometimes they call it depending on how it's shaped sometimes they call it a bar stool or a bar stool. Bar stool. But I, I like the half sandwich better. Half sandwich is cool. Yeah. Is it a sandwich? I, I like to eat and, yeah. you know, half sandwiches are almost as, you know, half as good as a full sandwich. So there, there you go. Yeah. There it is. Where's the wisdom? Where's the wisdom? So this is such a cool field. It's also a very, like I said before, a niche field. What was your motivation behind wanting to enter into this kind of field? Honestly, I didn't know I wanted to work in molecular magnetism until I talked to, to Jeff Reinhardt. Um, he was incredibly enthusiastic about the subject. Uh, I had come from a background working with... Uh, uh, first, I worked on surface science of mimicking comet behavior in uh, my undergrad, and then I transitioned to... Uh, surface science of ruthenium nanoparticles so uh, and working on polymer type stuff and those are like completely different from magnets there's you know like the most minimal of crossover some of the skills transfer over obviously but mm -hmm. you're like the knowledge base is not there right um and honestly you know i liked magnets but they weren't for me at the time particularly interesting until i talked to, to jeff during my um 
during my visitation weekend. And I saw how excited he was. I saw that there was some really cool, like just straight chemistry that we were doing. We were working with a bunch of lanthanide metals and rare earth metals, which I had never worked with. And, uh, you know, it, it really just caught my eye from a, from a chemist perspective first. And then, you know, I really got to learn the physics and the, you know, kind of concepts behind that. So I really saw, it, although it can be incredibly frustrating at times, um, how beautiful the, the math and the science behind it is. Yeah. And, and that really, you know, took, off, took me away and took my interest. Although sometimes I want to pull my hair out mm-hmm. because physics... Um, <laughs> just because physics, uh, right, right. and you know, the, the lines between chemistry and physics get really blurred yeah. when we're talking about this type of stuff. Um, it's still like such a beautiful subject. And the more I learn, the more, you know, I, I, I get excited about it and like learning to really kind of master what's going on behind it. So, yeah. That's super cool. That's really sweet. All right. Well, Alex, Thanks so much for joining me and chatting with me today. It's been really a pleasure uh, talking with you about your science. Um, To the listeners at home, thanks for joining our chat. It is always a delight to have you with us. If you aren't already part of the hype, you can follow me on Twitter at ChemistryCake. Here is your friendly reminder to edify your village and keep the hype alive. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off.